The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. You are now about to take a journey with professional advisors Ken Smith and Ethan Broga on Empirical Investing Radio. To connect with Empirical Investing Radio, please call 1-866-472-5790. Fasten your seatbelts. You're going to need them. Just because the hosts have a sense of humor does not mean their advice won't change your life. Good afternoon and welcome to Empirical, Empirical Investing Radio. I'm Ken Smith. Sitting next to co-host Ethan Broga. Good afternoon, Ethan. Hey, Ken. This show is designed to share with you prudent investing and financial planning ideas to help you make smarter financial decisions. And today we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the liquidity premium, Ethan. I've got an article on that. And uh, I want to talk about an investment company that we've used for over a decade now. Mm Mm-hmm. Dimensional Fund Advisors in a recent article uh, profiling them in, in Barron's. And uh, one, of, uh, uh, one of the articles written by one of their vice presidents, Weston Wellington, uh, just overviewing to 2013 some of the predictions that the financial media were making at the beginning of the year. That should be fun. And how that worked out and how that relates to whether or not you should be uh, taking guidance from those type of headlines in, in the various periodicals. Before we get into that, Ethan, if you wouldn't mind sharing our contact information and a little bit about how we can help. Yeah, sure. Uh, If you'd like to join the show today, you can call in or shoot us an email. We can be reached at uh, 866-472-5790 or uh, you can reach us via email at uh, contact at empiradio.com. And uh, I just want to remind listeners as well, we have a couple of upcoming seminars up in uh, Edmonds, actually, at the end of this month, one on Monday the 27th and then another on Thursday the 30th. Um, both those are available on our website if you'd like to make a reservation to, to come and join the seminar. It'll be our, our six secrets of retirement success, where we talk about how to integrate taxes, investments, and retirement cash flow planning. So please join us if you'd like to. Um, if you'd like some immediate help on perhaps just a second opinion on your portfolio or get together one-on-one in our, our, uh, our uh, uh, here in, in the, the office. The local office. Local office. Give us a call here at 206-923-3474 and uh, feel free to speak with Ken or Ethan. Throughout the program, if you have a question that you'd like Ethan and I to talk about, you can send an email through to us. Uh, Simon Liu will, will get it and respond uh, to us and that is at contact at EMPIRadio.com, contact at EMPIRadio.com, and uh, we'd be happy to talk about a financial decision that you are contemplating. Ethan, uh, real quick, maybe we could run through the market overview for the week and um, what's going on in the various parts of the stock and bond markets. Yeah, sure. Should we uh, just recover the last one year, it looks like, or you want to talk about just the short time, the year to date? How do you... Where would you like to start there, you think? Um, maybe just the last, you know, the, the Dow closed today down about 18 points, 16,444. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you wouldn't mind just running through the last uh, one year sure. numbers on a, on a few of the key asset classes. 
Right. Well, we cover a lot of different asset classes uh, within our portfolio. So looking at the Dow Jones as an example, uh, up 22% for the trading one year. The S&P up similarly, about 25% for the trailing one year. Um, not a large difference between either large cap growth or value in the U.S., both right around 28% for the trailing 12 months. Uh, where you start to see some vast improvement from those numbers is in small cap in the U.S., mm-hmm. looking at, uh, for example, small cap growth, 38% for the trailing one year. Uh, really, really quite a strong period of time there. Uh, small cap value, about 28% again. So it's very, very strong in the U.S., Moving to international stock for the last one year, uh, just large cap blend, uh, about 19%. Large cap value and growth, all about about 19% for the trailing 12 months. Um, where you start to see some drop-off is emerging markets. They have not done well in the last one year, uh, down about almost 9% from the trailing one year, and down 5% for the year-to-date already as well. Uh, interestingly, gold down about 26% for the trailing one year, uh, and then also crude oils down about 6% for the trailing one year. So quite a strong performance over the last 12 months in general. One of the things we've been talking about with emerging markets being down, um, and and last week on the program we talked about the the benefits of diversification in an Mm -hmm. up and a down, not just a down market, but in a market that has rising asset classes, there is value in diversification across those asset classes. Um, And while it may be tempting to avoid emerging markets, um, our suggestion is no st- stick with it over the long run and rebalance. And if we organized some of these broad asset classes by valuations, mm-hmm. um, emerging markets is at the lower end of the valuation spectrum. So you've got the general emerging markets index um, trading at about 12 times earnings, mm-hmm. where the S&P 500 is trading at 17. Right. Um, and this is using a calculation where you take the last 12 months of earnings and exclude the negative. So there's different ways of calculating out the P-E ratio. But relatively speaking, it, it's very similar. And mm-hmm. uh, you, you were talking about small companies last year just doing very, very well. And for the, for the year of 2013, that was, what, almost 40% for the, right. for the year. Um, well, they're trading at about 20 times earnings currently. Wow. So um, something that we certainly keep an eye on Mm -hmm. uh, across those different asset classes. And, you know, if you are a value-oriented investor, you'd be buying things that are cheaper. And one way of doing that is just simply systematically rebalancing your your portfolio when when things do become out of proportion or out of alignment to your targets. Mm -hmm. So, Ethan, let's... um, with a few minutes we've got in the first segment here, uh, I thought I'd start with this article by Weston Wellington, and then um, we'll relate that into the Barron's article about dimensional fund advisors. If you haven't heard of this mutual fund company, I think this article, uh, we'll just do a summary of it. Um, it's, a, it's an investment company I think everybody should know about. They're one of the eighth largest now in the world, and they've never done any advertising, um, they've beat a very large <laughs> really? percentage. I guess yeah, that's true. Yeah, so I'll save some of that for the article. But, All right. Uh, Weston has been with that company for quite some time. We've interviewed him on this program. We, yeah. He was kind enough to come on our radio program in 2009 and talk about um, bear markets mm-hmm. with us. And that's somewhere in the archive of the interviews we've done. And... Um, I like I like his articles and I like the way that he tracks and and some of the some of the 
articles that get published in the media, and this one's called Surprise, No Sell-Off in 2013. And he goes on to say the unusually strong performance of U.S. stocks in 2013 was a welcome surprise for investors who are following a simple buy-and-hold strategy and a source of exasperation for many of the professionals caught flat-footed by the steady rise in share prices. It was the best year for the S&P 500 since 1997, with a total return in excess of 32%. The size and value dimensions were even more rewarding, and what he's referring there is the idea of buying small companies that have a higher expected return over a long period of time, or companies that are more value-oriented, or you you like to refer to them as low-priced companies. Yeah. Uh, having those tilts in your U.S. portfolio didn't hurt your return. It actually helped. Mm-hmm. Uh, for dimensional funds, the U.S. large cap value fund um, was the best calendar year for that fund since it, it, its inception. And the micro cap fund, which has been out since early 80s, had its best single uh, one-year return in over 32 years. So it was a pretty good year for, for those those categories wow. and those funds to some experts however it wasn't supposed to look like this a barons cover story appearing in november of 2012 warned investors to get ready and the quote is get ready for the recession of 2013 the title of the time article on the outlook for financial markets that that same month uh, shouted quote why stocks are dead Quote, end quote, in oversized type, a prominent economic forecaster who predicted the downturn in 2008 suggested that four elements, stagnating U.S. economic growth, the European debt crisis, a slump in emerging markets, and a military conflict in the Middle East could combine and lead to a superstorm. Another prognosticator and longtime Forbes columnist. <laughs> I, know who that is. I think we know who that is. I think so. Ken Fisher, I, yeah, I think so. But I, I don't know. I'm guessing Not for sure. So. Uh, ticked off a long list of worries, including a new wave of housing foreclosures, persistent government deficits, weak consumer spending, high unemployment, and unsustainable corporate profit margins. Do you have anything else you could add to that, either? (laughs) I'm not sure. (laughs) His predictions for the year, quote, the S&P index will drop to 800, which would be a 42% decline for 2013. Hmm. Others fretted about the deepening slump in China that could drag the rest of the world down with it. Detroit's bankruptcy filing in July, mm-hmm. which was the largest in the uh, the largest American city to do so, and the acrimonious debate over public finances in many city, cities and states suggested to some that a tectonic shift in municipal finance was underway with worrisome consequences. One prominent Wall Street researcher observed that the aftershock of the largest municipal bankruptcy in U.S. history will be staggering, and Detroit will set important precedents. Individual and professional. Yeah, something. I just know that it hasn't been. I mean, it's gone. <laughs> it's in the process of going through bankruptcy, so they haven't actually finalized. You know, we don't really know the implications quite yet. I guess from that. Yeah. From a legal standpoint, I'm not sure if some of these uh, these provisions will have clawbacks to pensions and other things. So we're not sure exactly how that will, will resolve itself, but still out there, I guess. Certainly wasn't. Uh, wouldn't be classified as great news. Certainly not. Uh, Individual and professional investors alike braced themselves throughout the year for sharp sell-offs that never materialized. At times, the perverse reaction to rising prices was not a delight but apprehension of even an even steeper decline to come. On March 5th of 2013, for example, the Dow Jones Industrial Average finally eclipsed 
Its previous record of 14,164 set in October of 2007. But the Financial Times reported that the prevailing mood among veteran New York Stock Exchange floor traders was, quote, more anxious than joyful. Month after month, a Greek chorus of financial journalists recycled the same arguments we have heard regularly for the past several years. Economic growth is well below average. Stocks are expensive relative to earnings. Corporate profit margins are historically high and can only come down. Earnings growth is too weak. Asset prices have been artificially inflated by expansive monetary policy, and so on. A sample of the headlines that might have unsettled investors appear below. And I'll just click through a few of these because I think it's pretty interesting. On January 12th in the Financial Times, the title uh, headline was Rebirth of Equities Ain't Necessarily So. <laughs> February 8th, Wall Street Journal article, Scant Pickup in Economic Growth Scene for 2013. You and I picked a few at the beginning of the year that were not positive articles. Yes. Uh, March 7th, Stock Markets Defy Economic Woes, and that was in the Financial Times. April 2nd, lesser expectations, earnings, hopes dim for the first quarter. That was in the USA Today. Again, in the Financial Times, May 18th, stock market optimism on this scale, hard to explain. July 7th, as investors rush in, stocks are sending warning signals. That was in the Wall Street Journal. August 24th, lofty profit margins hint at pain to come for U.S. shares. September 18th, Profits boost needed for Wall Street's equities run. Um, that was Michael McKenzie in the Financial Times. October 7th in the Wall Street Journal. Get ready for a drop in stock prices. November 16th. Is this a bubble? Joe Light in the Wall Street Journal. Um, hmm. So he goes on just to conclude the article here that um, you know people thought that uh, everyone was getting out of cars and... Um, We've got to take a quick break, Ethan, but um, we'll finish this article when we get back. All right. Uh, You're listening to Empirical Investing Radio. Thank you. We'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at empiricalfs.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. Did you ever stop to think that financial health can be a lot like physical health? The financial physician, Luce Katigna, has helped people on the radio for nearly 15 years. And now he's part of the Voice America Business Channel. By using medical analogies to discuss financial solutions, Lou actually makes the process easier to understand and will help you chart your own financial fitness. Tune in to The Financial Physician, live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time, and on demand anytime on the Voice America Business Channel. 
We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. All right, we're back. Empirical Investing Radio. Your host here, uh, Ethan Broga, alongside Ken Smith. Thank you for joining us. This is our, our second segment of the show today. Um, if you'd like to give us a call and perhaps join the program, uh, give us a call at 866-472-5790. And uh, Ken, just before the break here, we were just wrapping up an article that uh, Weston Wellington had written from DFA, or Dimensional Fund Advisors. Yeah, a little paper he wrote called Surprise, No Sell-Off in 2013. And we were Going through some of the articles that he'd cataloged uh, that were less than positive beginning in January and going through the year. And in, he concludes the uh, article, if I may, uh, by saying, with so many economic hobgoblins to frighten them, many investors found it easy to dismiss more positive developments as unsustainable or irrelevant. Auto sales, for example, have been surprisingly strong in recent years, but investors could find plausible reasons for caution in 2013. A New York Times financial reporter observed, after steady increases for decades, Americans are driving less, walkable cities are growing faster than suburbs, and wherever people happen to move, they are buying smaller, more efficient cars. All this means that autos, one of the biggest industries in the United States, will not soon regain the explosive growth of the early 2000s. End of the quote. Some Americans are indeed buying more fuel-efficient cars. Electric-only Tesla luxury sedans are popping up in driveways in Tony neighborhoods across the country. But many other Americans are eagerly signing contracts for powerful full-size pickup trucks. Light-duty truck sales were up roughly 20% through November. And the Ford F-150 continues to be the best-selling vehicle in America by a substantial margin. Last year turned out to be a rewarding one for shareholders of most of the auto manufacturers and suppliers as well. And that Tesla Motors, uh, Ethan, was up 344% um, in 2013. Vistian, 74%. Johnson Controls, up almost 70%. Magna International, 66%. GM was up uh, over 41%. Packard was up 34.6%. Cummins was up 32%, and Ford Motor Company was up 22%. Wow. So I think the point of that is if you followed the headlines and made investment decisions, for example, by reading this New York Times article, and somehow avoided those and you had those area, the automotive area stocks out of your portfolio, you would have missed some pretty nice returns. Yeah. Um, if you had listened or let the tone or the nature of the headlines throughout the year on the general economic uh, situation guide your investing hand, you would have also missed out on some very nice returns. Yeah, you probably would have owned a lot more gold, too, right? You probably would have had a situation where, well, 
I don't, I don't trust what's going on right now. I, I feel very comfortable. I'm going to take play what would be could be categorized as a conservative hand, right, or a conservative play in old, old, more golden. As we said at the top of the show here, gold is down is you know 25 percent for the the last one year. So you're really talking about the difference in returns between the two. You know, the stock market's up 30 percent and the gold is down, you know, 25 percent. That's a, an enormous difference to have to overcome. And I think the real big takeaway here is that. Well, it's probably a couple of things I, I guess I would take, take away. One is they shouldn't listen to the media when it comes to making investment choices. Um, I think it's better to acknowledge that, hey, they don't know what's going on either, really, exactly. Right? There's no, there's no, no one's crystal ball is better than somebody else's crystal ball, basically. Right. It's better to, I know it's shocking, but true, isn't it? Uh, better to just have a disciplined strategy and stay with it and make changes based on, guess what? Changes in your situation your circumstances yeah and i think part of this as well is hey why why are so many articles written like this i mean there's tons of them i I have two in front of me that we didn't cover here some of them written by uh bill gross you know from pimco or uh elarian um uh, from pimco as well um both of them i have articles here from may and, and june of 2013 that says in essence get out of the market time to walk away from stocks um and if you heed and those guys are Pretty bright guys, right? They're right. pretty smart. But even those guys don't know when the market's going to turn or what direction things are going to go in the short run especially. So it's really better not to listen, I think, and, and to kind of tune that out if you can. Um, at least into, in as much as it help, it, it affects your decision making because we have to realize that they don't, they don't know either. And I think it's, it's better to be again, disciplined and stay with a, a, a prudent approach through thick and thin in essence. Um, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that, Ken? Well, that's how you would have been successful historically, and I don't see much in the way of research saying that that would change going forward. So it's not that I wouldn't would blindly follow a historical approach to things, I agree. but um, I'd need to see some substantial research that would really lead me to believe that. Uh, in, in 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 this article, for example, one of the analysts actually was able to call the market downturn in 2008, right. yet got it completely wrong in, in uh, 2013. And so we often hear that in order to be successful as a, as a market timer, it's not about when to get out. Um, it's about when to get out and when to get back in. Mm-hmm. And you have to be right twice to yeah. do that. And uh, on average... There is a, a just an overwhelming amount of information that the market is trying to dissect that drives the valuation, and there's I do believe there's an, a pretty uh, um, emotional aspect of the market in terms of how people put their money in and out of it. But over the long run, as Warren Buffett says, it, you know, in the, in the short run, it's a voting machine; in the long run, the market is a weighing machine, and what that means to me is, in the long run, it's it is earnings and value that drive the returns. Companies generating earnings and passing on their growth, that living, breathing organism that wants to grow, to its shareholders in return for the risk they take. And on a, in a broad sense, in, in a diversified sense, we don't know which areas. Uh, People are going to be willing to pay more or less for it, as we pointed out right now. To this day, people aren't willing to pay much for the emerging markets, but they've been willing to pay a lot for U.S. small company stocks. Right. You know that that's entirely a preference of what what may be priced in or maybe feelings about the 
opportunities in either of those areas. But in the long run, what is going to drive the returns of those two categories are the companies in those sectors putting earnings forward, putting dividends out. And so I think these we've seen this, in, and uh, Weston's done a good job of this. We've tried to point out various predictions and articles over the years. Um, you know, if you had guys on various financial programs, uh, I'd be I'd love to see them publish their recommendations, and in a way that they could be held accountable to them over a long period of time. And I think what we'd find is they don't do much better, if better at all, than the general buy and hold market strategy. Yeah, and you know, there's two other things I'd say. One is that you just to crystallize what you said there is that you don't have to miss the down, downturns to get the good long term average. You just have to be disciplined. It's one of, the, one of the things I like to say about that. And then secondly, and something we also mentioned in the show over the years is, you know, you got to take these types of articles, I think, with a, with a grain of salt because more than anything, they're probably trying to garner an audience. So they have to be a little bit sort of on the edge. They even have, you know, in terms of the headlines they may have and the statements made in the articles. Uh, if they weren't sort of, uh, you know, uh, I'm not sure exactly what the right word is, but sort of on the edge there, most people probably wouldn't take the time to listen to them or, or read it. Right. So they, they have to be bold in their statements to get people to, to, to read the articles and then obviously to sell the magazines or, or whatever publication they happen to be in. So it's, it's odd, but that's the way that it works in, in reality, I think. There's certainly a, some, some truth to that. Well, Ethan, um, maybe you start with talk a little bit about this Barron's article that came out. And um, we won't be able to finish it all in this segment. We'll start to summarize it. And it just it's been a while since we've talked about uh a mutual fund company that, as I mentioned earlier, we've been using for over over a decade now uh, that we've been involved in successfully implementing some of their strategies into our clients' portfolios. Mm-hmm. It's a, a mutual fund company called Dimensional Fund Advisors. And uh, there was an, an article um, published here, and, it, you know, they... Uh, it was 7.30 on a Sunday, October morning in Austin, Texas, and the class was about to start. Most of the students were finishing their coffee and chatting about how they were looking forward to hearing Professor Eugene Fama from the University of Chicago, an economist who a week earlier had won the Nobel Prize. And we mentioned that. Mm-hmm. The program wasn't your typical grad school seminar. It was orchestrated by Dimensional Fund Advisors. A $332 billion mutual fund firm whose investment strategy is based on FAMA's early and ongoing research. And the students were financial advisors who sell its funds. Now, to be clear, we utilize some of their funds, but we do not sell anyone's funds. Right. Um, And I think that's just a, a little semantical issue there, the way he has that listed. They're not a loaded uh, mutual fund company that has a load or a sales charge where licensed brokers go out and sell those funds and, and generate a commission. Um, so most of us as financial advisors that do incorporate some of the dimensional funds in our portfolios, we're not selling anything. Our, advise, our clients are entrusting us to help them build a portfolio and manage that portfolio. And we go out into the marketplace and we look for the best lowest cost funds, but the highest what we believe are the highest return opportunities for the particular category we're investing for our clients, most tax-efficient, cost-effective, risk-managed. And we will recommend that we make an allocation to those funds. We're not selling anything. Uh, 
This was no boondoggle business trip. The college, as it's known, is a two-day biannual event that draws more than 100 advisors from all over the nation. Ethan, we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll come back and uh, and illustrate a little more about this article about Dimensional Fund Advisors and the Barons recently. We'll be right back. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at empiricalfs.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S dot com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. Are you a decision maker in your organization, a mid-level manager, or a team member? Stepping Stones to Everyday Success with host Kimberly Stewart is a program designed to provide you with tidbits and tools you need to achieve results no matter where you are in your organizational structure. Interaction is key, and you'll have opportunities to share your ideas, comments, and questions. Listen to Stepping Stones to Everyday Success, live every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time, on the Voice America Business Channel. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. All right, thanks for joining us. Uh, Miracle Investing Radio, your host here, Ethan Broga, alongside Ken Smith. Thank you for joining us again today. Uh, Ken, we're about to enter our third segment. We're just about to talk about an article um, about DFA, or Dimensional Fund Advisors. And uh, we're going to go through this a little bit and just uh, see what you think. Yeah, I was just uh, going through. Um, the... Uh, this was no boondoggle business trip. The college, as it's known, is a two-day biannual event that draws more than 100 advisors from all over the nation uh, for some very academic presentations held in the lecture hall. Uh, the firm built just for this purpose. The advisors are already sold on the veracity of the efficient market hypothesis pioneered by Flama back in 1965. They have to be in order to sell Dimensionals funds. But they come to hear about new research and new products and strategies and for the chance to hear the gospel from the prophet himself. <laughs> it does have a little bit of a, a fervor there, doesn't it? That, yeah, that there's something that. going on there. Now, uh, truthfully, we've, uh, this is the, talking about the DFA conference down in, I think, their headquarters, right? Yeah, they've uh, set up in Austin, Texas, a pretty big center in recent years. And so, yeah, they're, they're doing a lot of meetings down there now. 
Yeah, and you have you you've been to the one in Austin, right? I have, I have. I remember uh, when I first joined uh, Empirical many years ago now, uh, two thousand three or, or two thousand four. You and I went down to Santa Monica when their headquarters was there and, and had a two day sort of presentation about DFA and what they have to offer and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, very interesting. And there was advisors from all around the country down there. Um, but again, as you said here, it isn't it isn't like we're anybody's selling the funds. There's no no commissions involved. It's just trying to figure out what what's best for clients. Is the the reason that we were down there, and and, and again use their some of their funds in our portfolios now. Right. Um, yeah. And the article is by Beverly Goodman. It was called uh, a different dimension. By the way. Hmm. Um. Yeah. So they they uh, dimensional funds is unusual. Its fans are true believers, bordering on evangelical. It is hardly a household name for other, uh, like other funds of its size. About 85% of DFA's assets are in mutual funds, making it the eighth largest fund family, sandwiched between J.P. Morgan and Oppenheimer funds. Hmm. That relative anonymity, uh, anonymity is by design. The firm doesn't advertise. It sells its funds only through advisors who have undergone a rigorous screening it doesn't sell its funds on most brokerage platforms, and it's privately held. Hmm. Because its funds are essentially quantitative, quantitative, driven by computer models rather than by individual security selection, there are no star managers. Though it doesn't askew the press, it's careful to work only with reporters who, quote, get it or get what it does. This is the first time a reporter had been invited to the college. Hmm. And yet its overall performance is headline-worthy. More than 75% of the funds have beaten their category benchmarks over the past 15 years, and 80% over five years, according to Morningstar. Remarkable for what some investors wrongly dismiss as index investing. It, its process is simple and repeatable, and yet no other firm has tried to emulate it. When asked why co-founder and chairman, uh, co-CEO David Booth, who's 67, draws he draws a surprising analogy to Star Wars and Luke Skywalker's inability to harness the power of the Force until his devotion was deep and unwavering. Quote, we are believers down to our toes. <laughs> That's a quote, funny description. Said. It's kind of funny. Yeah, I mean, you know. Um, and certainly once people, I don't know if we can pause there for sure. a second. Um as we were doing research on you know, capital market research of our own on investing and looking for better investments for our clients, um, again, the, the, the word sell came up multiple times. We don't sell anything. What we do is look for investments that we think will help our clients. And again, there's no commission uh, involved here, no compensation between a company like Empirical and a mutual fund company like Dimensional. So there's no monetary transaction going on between the two. Um, we would utilize some of their funds for our clients because we think they offer the highest opportunity set. Right. Um, but once you start to look into the research and you, um, you you get into the environment that they have, and in this article, the reporter experienced that, that hey, you're meeting with them with some very smart people who not don't just tap into the research that they've done internally. But really tapped into the research from academics around the world. Right. It's pretty. It's a pretty exciting feeling to feel that you can tap into some of that and bring that to the average investor. Um, 
yeah, it's one of those things where I mean, even our firm, you know, it's 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 a modest sized firm. We would not in house have the ability to tap into or on the payroll, for example, those types of academics. People have been doing this for you know thirty years or so. It would be impossible. Um, but yet, because of the the approach that they take, the empirical approach, if you will, looking at the empirical evidence, uh, we're able to benefit from that and then pass that benefit of knowledge on to our clients. And more advisors than ever. I think it says in here somewhere that there's over 1,900 now uh, around the country that are approved and are utilizing. And unfortunately, many of them um, have come in recently. I mean, so what that yeah. tells me is the clients that haven't had access or haven't been utilizing some of these great strategies. It's only after the last 10 years of significant performance that they're introducing these things to their clients or even in, in their own well, it's it's encouraging and it's great. Um, however, nonetheless, that uh, because the the explosive growth from just a few billion up to three hundred thirty-two billion that they've experienced, um, and and we'll talk about it in here. In large part, that success is because of advisors who have taken the time to do the research and have realized, hey, yeah, it's about helping my client and putting their interests first. Even if even if that means I'm not picking individual stocks, because mm-hmm. I think a lot of time long time ago, um, and if there's any credit for you and I Ethan in this is that it wasn't necessarily a very popular thing to do, um, where a lot of advisors thought, well, what's the value that I bring to the table, and and it used to be picking stocks, for example, yeah, that's picking true. active uh, traditionally active funds that. Uh, somehow their rotation uh, approach would add some value. Well, there's an enormous amount of planning and there's an enormous amount of investment structuring that, that an advisor needs to do uh, and or a client should be doing when they're building their portfolio. Mm-hmm. And it's the great thing about the change that we're seeing, the sweep sweeping change where people are giving up on the old traditional models that just haven't worked. But they've stuck around because of the compensation incentives in the in the brokerage world, or in the investment banking world, uh, with the products that they put out. It's forcing everyone to be better, you know, for the for less. That's true, right? Uh, by the way, yeah. Um, the price that in an, an investor can pay to get access to, in spite of all the articles about how no one's helping the smaller uh, part of the crowd, I think there are some great innovations coming on that front um, and there's great information currently freely available to everyone that 20 or 30 years ago wasn't oh the, sure I, I believe that the smaller investor has more opportunity now to do well uh, and, and to gain access to good information including what we're doing here on this program than they ever have so I, I think a lot of what I've been reading about that um, is a little overplayed that they don't have access to good help. But anyway, Ethan, I think it's it's been great because um, DFA's success is entirely, in my view, uh, or in large part, a result of advisors doing trying to do the right thing for their clients. Mm-hmm. Um, the force in this case is the theory of efficient markets first put forward by Fama in 1965. Dimensionals funds... Dimensionals funds all operate on the same principles, that it's hard to beat the market and impossible to do it consistently 
by stock picking. There are, however, various factors that can be exploited to provide market-beating returns. That, along with the sophisticated trading systems, a keen eye toward tax efficiency and low expenses. By the way, the average DFA fund charges just 0.39% has led to Dimensional's success. But don't liken a Dimensional Fund Advisor CEO David Booth. Um, but don't liken what DFA does to indexing, and definitely don't call it passive. Quote, I recoil when people think that what we do is being passive because it has nothing to do with being passive, end quote, Booth says. We are trying to beat the market without forecasting, without forecasting in the usual sense. You know, I, I've, I've heard <clears throat> that straightforward of a, of a description uh, of, of it in a long time. So we, we, can't, we tend to categorize it as passive in our, just because it's, we know it's not active in the traditional sense. But you're right, it is really a blend of, of uh, a more academic approach. It does take a lot of work. You know, it certainly is not just picking a group of stocks and holding on to it forever. There's a lot of things going on behind the scenes that, that is, does describe it more accurately as, as an active strategy. Certainly not your, your traditional active strategy, more, more along the lines of um, using the market forces and factors to try to beat the market. That's exactly right. It's kind of neat to hear, um, hear David Booth say that. Yeah. Um, the firm takes its academic bent seriously. The DFA began where Fama's research began on the assumption that stock picking is too inconsistent and unpredictable to be a reasonable method of beating the market. Sure, every year some active managers will outperform. Some will even outperform several years in a row. But that doesn't indicate skill, Fama says. With 3,000-plus active managers, some are going to look good. But that's what you'd expect as a matter of chance, he says. It's very difficult to tell luck from skill. Even to the extent that skill is involved, stock picking is not a repeatable process with consistency and persistence of returns that would enable investors to anticipate which managers are likely to outperform, especially given the cost of making those bets. Active management is a zero-sum game, and that's before the cost, Fama says. That's not an opinion. That is math. And uh, I know we're going to have to take a quick break, but would you mind summarizing this idea of the zero-sum game, Ethan? Yeah, well, sure. It's the idea that all active participants in the market, um, the market return is what the market return is. And then the the active folks versus the passive folks are going to have the same returns, but after factoring costs... What's going to work out is the active active votes will have less return because it costs more to implement the strategy, basically. Right. So it's just not a good bet. If you're into, hey, going with the odds, the odds say don't be involved in active management. Yeah. Well, let's take a quick break, Ethan. We'll come back, wrap this article up, and uh, with our remaining time, we'll talk a little bit about this study on, on the liquidity and um, expected returns there. Sounds good. We'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at EmpiricalFS.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S dot com. 
Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. In sales, are you a lion or a vulture? Lions don't wait. They just go for it. Vultures hang around until the lions are finished and just pick up the scraps. How can you set yourself apart as a lion? Join the other aspiring sales lions and listen to Forget Patience, Let's Sell Something with host Ty Maynard. You'll learn the tips and strategies of top sales professionals. You'll gain more clients at a faster rate and at higher margins. If you're a sales professional, business owner, or executive, listen in every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. All right. Welcome back. This is our last segment on Empirical Investing Radio. Uh, if you want to contact Ethan and I throughout the week, um, please do so. You can call us here at the firm at 1-800-923-4307 or shoot me an email at ksmith at empirical.net. ksmith at empirical.net. What's your email, Ethan? E. Broga? Yeah, that's right. B-R-O-G-A at empirical.net. Correct. It's also on our website. You can check it out. So let's just finish this article here. The last thing about dimensional funds, and if, if you have any interest in learning about it, um, they're only available through an advisor like Empirical. So um, we would love to talk to you about it and, and share a little bit about how we may be able to c- connect that into our value proposition of the planning and our overall investment guidance that we offer. Hey, Ken, wh- why, why is it that they're only available through advisors? Like well, Primarily because they they want you to understand and embrace the strategy to keep their funds running efficiently. They do not want money, fickle money going in and out of the funds. It's it's damaging mm-hmm. to the efficiency of them. So they want they want money that will be invested for the long term. Um, so there, there's some reasons behind that. They also feel that. Uh, and I think it's a good thing. They have a philosophy. They they feel that people do need some guidance and some help in staying disciplined with the approach and, and using these tools, these great tools that they've created, um, orchestrating those tools to build the financial plan that, that you need. That's right. Uh, I just want to comment one more thing. One evidence of their, their the, the soundness of that approach, I think, is really in their, their returns. They're the only fund company, as far as I know, I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong, that their 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 dollar weighted returns are actually higher than their time weighted returns, and it's part in parcel because of the disciplined approach that the advisors that the clients work with you know, affect the yeah. accounts with, right? I, I would credit that entirely to the advisors that are 
implementing their funds and not not dimensional themselves. They're just running the fund. Right. They really don't have any control over the money that goes in and out. And that is true in, in a couple of Morningstar articles over a couple of years. Um, they highlight that. Real quick, I want to finish this okay. last paragraph on it, and then we can talk about whatever you want. Um, like what you're going to do for the weekend, what you're having for lunch tomorrow. Perfect. Dimensional funds aim to capture the returns of an asset class, be it small or large companies, developed or emerging markets, without slavishly adhering to an index. They do, for example, take the small cap, uh, the Vanguard small cap value index, which is based on the S&P 600 small cap value index and is counterpart to DFA small cap value. The DFA fund has a much smaller exposure. The companies that are much smaller with its average value being at $1.1 billion. Vanguard's a- average stock size in that portfolio is $2.7 billion. And on, all, and on all measures is much more value-oriented. So the dimensional fund better captures the market-beating advantage of small and value stocks, and in fact, a lot better. The DFA re- fund returned 42% in 2013, beating 88% of its peers in Morningstar's small-cap value category, relative to the Vanguard fund's 36% return. So a lot of people, Ethan, use, uh, choose a Vanguard approach because they, they see paying an advisor as a cost that uh, gets in the way. Right. Um, but in this case, if you were to look at this strategy difference, 36 to 42%, um, it would have been well worth it. And if you look uh, over 15 years, DFA's fund return an average of 12%, while the Vanguard fund 10%. So... While their expenses are a little higher than Vanguard's, 0.52 instead of 0.24, the significant that outperformance, which is significant, is net of of those expenses, right? And far makes up the difference. Wow! So there are other factors, and we don't have time to go into all of it in the, in this uh, particular program, Ethan. Uh, that make them uni- the, the fund company itself unique, but I think the most important thing is getting the right advisor. If we could come back around to that, I think it's far more important that you have a good financial advisor than it is that you own a Vanguard fund versus a DFA fund. Um, because the difference in the advisor and, and each individual investor's, and even according to uh, David Booth here in conclusion, he says, you know, no matter how investors access their funds, Booth says dimensional strategy requires staying the course. Where people get killed is getting in and out of investments. Booth says, they get halfway into something, lose confidence, and then try something else. It's important to have a philosophy. Um, so I, ju- I, I just want to make that entirely clear. Yeah, that's, that's great. So even in the last couple of minutes here, uh, one of our partners, Michael Van Sant, and I are going with a few other people to watch this movie, The Wolf of Wall Street. Oh, you're serious about this? Yeah. Oh, boy. With your friend, uh, Leo. And I was looking in, uh, not because... You know, we've it, it. It's purely entertainment, of course. Um, the, the wolves are running like the sound, wild. The sound track, but it's funny track. in the in the recent investment news. Um, it says advisors contend the new movie about the '90s boiler room has unwarranted negative attention on the industry, and um, <laughs> there's a lot of Oscar buzz around the Wolf of Wall Street. But the firm, which chronicles the rise and fall of notorious broker Jordan Belfort. 
isn't likely to win any awards from advisors. Mr. Belfort gained nor- notoriety in the 90s as the founder of Stratton Oakmont, a Long Island, New York boiler room that aggressively pushed risky penny stocks on unsuspecting clients. Mr. Belfort was later found guilty of securities fraud tied to shady IPO offerings and spent 22 months in the slammer, the Hooskow. <laughs> of course, in the post-Bernie Madoff world, nothing about the story is particularly shocking. The Wolf of Wall Street isn't the first movie based on uh, Mr. Belfort's story. That distinction goes to 2000's Boiler Room. But perhaps no other movie about finan- uh, finance since director Oliver Stone's 1987 film, Wall Street, comes packed with the star power of The Wolf of Wall Street, which was directed by Martin Scorsese and stars your man, Leo, as Mr. Belfort. My man, that's right. On top of that, the film is pumped full of sex and drugs, uh, so it isn't surprising that it is gaining a lot of attention. I didn't know that, Ethan. Uh, I might reconsider. Right. That might fit more your lifestyle. I'm not so sure. I'm not experiencing that. I'm not even going to the movie. For advisors, however, the movie could be bringing the wrong kind of attention about the business to clients. It shows the worst of retail brokerage. Yeah, it does, probably, yeah. Uh, it doesn't, says Danny Sarch. He says, it doesn't help the industry by any stretch. He said, it's awful. In an early scene. Um, hey, hang on a second. Do you yes. Do you think it's done more damage than the, the, the $20 billion in fines that J.P. Morgan Chase has paid <laughs> over no, the last year? No, I don't think so. I don't think it's worse than that, right? <laughs> no, I don't think uh, he, Mr. <laughs> Belfort, even in himself... Uh, has done anywhere close to the damage that Wall yeah. St- that the traditional investment banks sure. have done to investors over the course of e- decades mm-hmm. um, of existence. It doesn't even scratch the surface. There should be constant movies about that if that's the issue. Right, right. If that's the issue, sure. Um, there are people in every field. Uh, I, I'm reading this just as kind of a joke, Ethan, because I think it's sure. not even worthy of printing in a financial publication but um they go on to describe some of the unscrupulous things that are mentioned between these brokers including mr belford before he kicks off his unscrupulous career peddling penny stocks but um i i i think they're in every profession whether it's doctors lawyers um politicians as you know sure um there are always bad apples in the bunch, uh, but there's, in a lot of cases, uh, a lot of good done by... It, it's the character of the people who are providing the advice. It's, it's not the industry in itself, and certain areas of the industry are different. So, Indeed. Anyway, on that note, i got to get my tickets. <laughs> <laughs> They're going fast. <laughs> They're going fast. Thanks for tuning in this week on Empirical Investing Radio. We'd love to hear from you again. You can give me a call at 1-800-923-4307 or email gaysmith at empirical.net. Until next week, have a great night and a great week, and we'll, we'll see you later. We hope you've enjoyed Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and Ethan Broga. Please join us again next Thursday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And for more information about Empirical Investing Radio, please call 800-923-4307. We'll see you next week.
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 